Well, well, well. We've been praying out there that I'd be able to get through this. I've got my hot tea, according to my wife. I've got my lozenger in my mouth. I've got everything I can do to get through this. Um, you know what? Uh, tomorrow, uh, just after the service, uh, we're headed to uh, the Phoenix Open. Many of you know about the Phoenix Open. It's insane over there. And then you add the Super Bowl at the same week, which is just even more insane. Uh, but uh, tomorrow night, we're going to have um, a live stream, uh, the, the, uh, the outreach that we do over there, and we'll probably have 1,500 or 2,000 people there, and uh, we'll have Zach Johnson, who's the Ryder Cup captain, and I'll be talking to him about that, and then we've got some, some three other uh, PGA Tour winners, so it should be a good deal. Last, week, last year, we did it, and for those of you who were able to watch that, Scotty Scheffler won that week. It was his first week to win. They won a heater and went all the way into the Masters and won the Masters. And then Sam Burns, and they were both in the top five in the world. That was just incredible. So uh, anyway, we had a long list of guys that were wanting to be part of this this year so that they could go on that kind of a heater. Uh, so you can be praying that these guys will have a resurgence in their careers. So we had a lot of 20-somethings last year. We've got some 30-somethings this year and even a 40-something this year. So... It's going to be a good week. Are you ready for this? I, I do. My heart was broken. I couldn't be with you last week. It's just been a heck of a season for, for our family, and uh, it's been challenging on so many different levels. And uh, it's COVID for all those weeks, and then finally get out of that, and just about had my strength back, and then, and then we, went, we went again. So um, anyway, I know many of you are suffering from that. A lot of people are watching live stream or for various reasons, and we know that's been the case. I think it's pretty much the case around the valley. So let's open in prayer, see if we cannot get through this. And I'm impressed already that I'm able to get this far without even not one cough. And I was not going to wear the headset because if I cough, I will do that. All right. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need your spirit. We, we have no idea how to move around in an unseen realm. How do we do that? We, we need your Holy Spirit. We, we want to understand what it is to have faith in you, uh, not just little catchy phrases of, that may exist in our culture, but Lord, we want to know deeply what it is to walk with you, to think about you properly in an orthodox way, in a way that's been a straight line for 2,000 years from the time of your death and your burial and your resurrection, but even way before that. Lord, they were looking forward to the cross. We look back, but we all look to you, and we need you this morning, and I'm asking that you would do a great thing in the hearts of many who are here this morning. I've to get to, to this portion, which is really a look at what can be an incredibly demonic aspect of religion, and many in here will have suffered under the hands of really bad religion through the course of their experience, or maybe even people that they know. And I pray that you will engage our minds, our hearts, and then our wills to go out and be different people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So looking at this creation thing and uh, the created order, and we've seen that, uh, well, we, I, I kind of gave you four overriding pictures. Number one, creation was good when it was originally created, and God said it was good, and God said it was good seven times, which is very uh, important for us to understand in the book of Genesis, and it was good, and then he culminated with it, and it was very good. Creation continues to be good. Let me say that again. Create The created order though fallen, continues to be good. In what way? Well, 
in the sense that, and this is important to understand, it is also a revelation of God. Not just that we look up into the sky as the ancients did, and we see stars and moons and, gal- and, and now galaxies through what we know, two trillion galaxies. But even the ancients could look up and say, something got this party started. And whatever that force is, was good. And they were right. And it reveals. So, but it does something more than that. God is not just an abstract collection of attributes. What if we didn't have the created order? What would you say about God? What would you say? How would we know? What is it when we say, as we looked at and closed last week with Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good? What if you had never tasted anything? What if you had never seen anything? And we were all just immaterial spirits floating in some kind of ether, and yet ether's material too, some kind of nothingness, and then we tried to even talk about God. The Proverbs tell us it's, uh, you know, observe the ant, look at the, taste the honey, this is as sweet as honey, this is more precious than gold and silver. What if you had no idea about any of that? What if you didn't know what it was to have a little more gold in your 401k? What if you never had that experience or that elation of knowing that in some way you were now provided for? The created order is revelatory, and that's what we look. We spent a lot of time a couple of weeks ago at looking at this and how important it is to really see that creation is not only good, but it's revealing of the very attributes of God and gives us, it gives us uh, categories in which we can understand God. And, of course, Jesus was the ultimate revelation in the material created realm. He took on flesh and became, became a man. It's unbelievable. For many, it is unbelievable. But for us who are followers of Jesus and have now tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it's not unbelievable. Believable. I don't know what. Am I holding that too far away? I don't know what's too close. So uh, anyway, it's just, that, that's the way we're going to, that's where we're going to view this. Now, we looked at also two weeks ago, we looked at this we got into some of these telltale signs that we are now uh, having, we're having an issue, right, with, oh, here we go. Hey, now, by the way, come, come up here, come up here. This is our brother. This is our brother who got baptized on Thursday night. Now, test that, see if that works. Hello, hello, okay. hello, take, take. Now, take that and tell me, why did you get baptized? What happened? What happened in your heart? What was that? Well, I've been around a lot of people that, um, you know, been walking with the Lord, and I felt the need to get baptized. Like, it was enforced on me. No one, I just, it was a decision I made on my own, and I'm blessed that I made that decision. So are we, and I'll trade you out. I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. Now I know why we were supposed to switch those mics. I was thinking I need to have him come up here, but I, anyway, faulty mics are even from the Lord. See how the created order reveals the attributes of our creator. Then we looked at a few telltale signs that idolatry has crept in. Look, we, we, we are not talking about making something a priority as the ultimate if it's the created order. That's not the ultimate. The ultimate is the creator And yet, the created order, if we're doing it appropriately and rightly, 
There's a Godwardness that Joe, Rigby, Joe Wrigley talks about. There's a Godwardness that is both direct, what we're doing right now, worship, prayer, where we're really engaging the Creator on some very specific levels and very directly. But then there's also an indirect Godwardness. You know where the, body the Bible talks about do all to the glory of God? What does that mean? Well, can you really eat steak and potatoes to the glory of God? The answer to that is yes, you can. Not if the culinary delights are your ultimate desire in life and you've just become a foodie and that's all you think about and you travel the world and food is an ultimate end in and of itself. But if, it, if you're eating that steak and there's something deep within you, a Godwardness, a set disposition towards the Creator for all that is good. Now, that is biblical, that is balanced, and that is right. Food in and of itself, uh, people try to make it their God, and it does not work out well. But that's true with sex, and that's true with power, and that's true with your business, and that's even true with your family and wonderful things. And there are some signs that idolatry has crept in, and we looked last week at the fear of loss. If you're in constant fear of losing something, there is a high, high chance that it has become a primary pursuit rather than a pursuit that you have but not as a primary pursuit. Your primary pursuit must always be the Creator. But then you can freely and lovingly and graciously, without fear of loss, enjoy the created order. Look, you, you see people that way all the time. I, I, they call, you know, you see people that are afraid to leave their house. Why? You see people that don't give their alligator arms, you know, they can't reach their pockets. They just don't have the ability to give anything because they grew up maybe in some poverty. And so now their ultimate provider is their stuff. Uh, and you see, you see all kinds of things. And so if you're fearing losing something, then you're really not yet on the Creator. You're not doing all to the glory of God. You've made the created order an idol. Secondly, uh, you're not content with what you have. You're just never content. You always want to chase down the Joneses, the new car, the new house, the new this, and you're just not content. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car or a nice home or anything else, but there, there is a sense in which it doesn't matter. It could be your fourth iteration of almost the same house, and you're still like it could be better, it could be bigger, it could be more wonderful, it could be, if a, and you see something, whatever it is, anything in the created order, anything, if it lends itself all of a sudden to you being discontent, there's a problem, it's a sign. It's a sign. Philippians chapter 4, listen to what Paul says. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. Paul understood it was a learning curve. I, it was a, to be Godward, to be, have my ultimate in the creator of the universe, it takes time. This is called sanctification. There's a long process by which we begin to jettison some of these things that have held us in fear and, and a lack of contentment and all these things. Over time, the Lord and His gracious, loving self is just allows us uh, a process. Thank God He allows us a process. And we must allow one another a process by which we become more like Jesus. And one of those, 
very important things is to be content. And even Paul, I've learned to be content. It didn't just come out of nowhere. He, said, he goes on and says, so whatever circumstances I am in, I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. He didn't say prosperity was bad. I've learned to live in it. I will tell you this, and, and especially here in the Coachella Valley, the Palm Springs area, where we are and where I live, it is more difficult to learn to live in prosperity than it is to live in in lack, and I believe that, and I've experienced both. I would definitely consider that I live in, pro- I live in prosperity now. I, I, I haven't worried for years on whether I'm going to have a meal, my next meal or not. It is difficult to learn to be content and to live, well, t- with prosperity. It's, and I'm not, I am not putting down poverty. Poverty is a brutal tyrant. It really is. And, and to live, but he's not talking about poverty. He's talking about just Humble means. I've learned to do this. He says, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret. The secret. No, Oprah, it's not, you don't have the secret, or your book club doesn't have the secret. Here's the secret being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Are you, do you lack contentment? You need to get on a learning curve. You may already be on it, but the Lord loves you, and he wants to extend his gracious hand to you. You may struggle living in material wealth, and you may struggle living with a lack, but either way, you need to learn contentment, and how do you do that? Because you're always Godward. You're always toward the Creator. That doesn't mean, and that's what it means, as we looked at two weeks ago, to not set your mind on earthly things. It doesn't mean that everything on earth is bad. It just means that in an ultimate way, I'm always filtering things through. If I'm having a meal some, somewhere deep within me because of the intentions of my heart, I'm so grateful that I'm having this meal. And, I, and somehow it points me back, like C.S. Lewis said, the, the light through, the, through this little, and I look back through the light, it, yeah, it, shines on these beautiful material things, but then immediately I'm looking back up the rays, uh, and, and then I see the Creator, the very origins of the rays themselves. And, and you've had those experiences. You know you've done it. You look at a mountain. You, a materialist looks at a mountain very differently than someone who has already set in his or her heart the fact that there is a Creator of that mountain, and they have a personal relationship with that Creator. It's not an amorphous kind of an opaque deity or force or power, or mist, or, or, or something out there, it, it is a very personal, loving creator. And that makes life so much sweeter. Do you fear loss? Do you lack contentment? What if your life lacks a certain level of simplicity? Your life has just become frenetic, The Lord, when you follow Jesus, there's a certain sense of equanimity that just can set in, a balanced beauty that can set in and change the very inside of you. It's so difficult. And you can be with somebody and you can sense, you know, just, and it's not just disposition. It's not just type A personalities. It's, It's a person who's settled and a person who is unsettled. Why are we unsettled? It is a sometimes, oftentimes, a telltale sign of making something else a priority that shouldn't be. 
Matthew 6, this is just a simple life. This is Jesus teaching. And some of you have heard me teach on this right on, maybe right on the Sea of Galilee there and kind of up on these hills. And they've got a little monastery there. And it's a beautiful place to do this teaching. And, and, but listen to Jesus. We all know these words, but maybe you're kind of running a fast pace and you're just, you know, something is not right in Beantown. I need things to slow down. I, I, things are moving too quickly and I am, I am freaking out and I need to not freak out. What do I need to do? Listen to these words. Matthew 6, verse 30. If God so clothes the grass of the field, and he does, it's alive today and tomorrow, well, we see it. We have our cycles here in the valley. If you, if you don't know what that looks like, you know, it goes dormant and we get watering and then the rice seed comes on and it lasts for a little while and if you're on the golf course or you're whatever and carts start trampling it down and, and, then, and then it starts to get a little warm in April and then, then that ride just kind of goes away. It happens so quickly. This, the flowers come in and then they start to wilt and more flowers and then flowers and then flowers. There's just these cycles. He said, but if God is concerned about that and then they're thrown into the furnace... Will he not much more clothe you? You're, oh, you of little faith, come on. Do not worry, saying, well, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear for clothing? He doesn't say that it's a bad thing to be clothed. He doesn't say it's a bad thing to eat anything. He said, don't worry about it. There's a big difference. The Gentiles, well, they eagerly, they eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. Let me say that again. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things, these material, created order things, dresses and hats and food and cars and houses. and He knows you need all this stuff. We're little desire factories. We're finite. We're limited. We're but dust. God created you that way. Do you understand that? Don't try to, and again, don't try to be more spiritual than God. We were created with desires, and they, in, in proper order, God loves to do what? Fulfill those desires. God loves a beautiful meal. God created beautiful meals. God created beautiful clothes. He created all of it. And yes, it must be balanced with a, a giving and generous heart if you have an abundance. Of course, that's always part of the plan. But do not, do not make the mistake that so many make. And the Gnostics during the time of Jesus, the dualism that existed for Greek thought and all that, somehow the material order is bad and the spiritual realm is good. And again, it's, it can be devastating if it becomes ultimate. He says, hey, Gentiles, they, have all, they need this, but verse 33, but seek his kingdom, his rule and his reign, the invisible, the invisible kingdom that has now come into the world and is ruling in the hearts of men and women. And all these things... All these things, what things? Food and clothes and houses and things like that. And they will be added to you, not taken away. And I'm at my last point in this, in this little 
creation series we're doing is that asceticism is demonic because it, it is a denial of fundamental things. And it's demonic. It's not just that it's, uh, you know, that's for the holy people. It's demonic, and I want to explain why that is. And then lastly, what if your life begins to feel uh, useless, hopeless? Maybe you've lost a spouse, and you just feel like there's just no more hope, or something's occurred, and you just feel like there's just nothing that you have to offer at all. Be cautious. Be cautious. And I know this is hard because a person like that needs encouragement and lift it up. But sometimes the best encouragement is the truth. And listen, listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 115. He said, not to us, O Lord. Are you feeling useless? Be careful. Hopeless, like you are invisible, that you aren't anything. Be careful. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, because your loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in, you know, this, you know, this is one of my favorite verses. I quote it all the time. Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. God is sovereign. He will accomplish his purposes, period. Whether you believe in him or whether you don't believe in him, God is accomplishing his purposes. And the more you know your Bible, the more you realize that that is exactly true. History is an unfolding of the purposes of God. And yes, that includes evil. That's a whole nother story. Come back, y'all. All right? It says their idols are silver and gold. This is the nations. The work of man's hand. They have mouths, but they can't speak. They have eyes, they can't see. They have ears, they can't hear. They have noses, they can't smell. Hands, they can't feel. Feet, they cannot walk. They can't even make a sound with their throat. Now listen, those who make them, that's idolatry, at its core, will become like them. Everyone who trusts in them. See, when idolatry creeps in, a telltale sign is you begin to resemble idols. Things just don't taste the same anymore. And I'm not talking about COVID literally. I'm just talking about your appetite for the engagement with what God has for your life. You just lose hope. I'm just sick of this. I just want to, I'm tired. I, 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 I'm useless. Nobody, nobody cares about me anymore. Look, you need to be lifted up, but you do need to realize that at the core of that, there is a loss of mission, a loss of a sense of purpose. And that's what happens if maybe you put some of your contentment based too much on the spouse that you lost or a family member that you lost or the money that you lost or the position. Uh, so many out here in the valley, they, and they, I've heard it described hundreds of times over a cup of coffee, especially with men. They had an identity in their business, and they were, they were the go-to guy, and they walked in, and everybody turned, and it was kind of that. And then, the, and then they retired, and then the calls didn't come anymore. All the people that they thought were their, you know, their cronies, their, their friends, the ones that cared about them, and then they lost their position, and they didn't realize, and now they feel hopeless and useless was that position something that was your primary identity. If it was, the Lord in his loving grace this morning will said, okay, look, you can reestablish missional purpose and identity, but do it in me, don't do it in the created order. And that is important. See it all the time. See it less 
But I see, I see it with men. You can see it in their hearts. And, you know, and a lot of times, because this is a, a valley filled with country clubs, guys now try to take that sometimes and they're going to be president. I'm, I don't care if you're president of your club or whatever, but they're going to be president, they're going to be this, and they're just, they, try, they're, they don't even realize that they're trying to strive for some identity again. And I'm like, why are these people so concerned about the speed of a green? I mean, it's ridiculous. Or whether or not the $50 more or less for monthly dues or, I mean, just, and all these politics and everything, and people are just fighting and this, and I'm, what, they're really, what they're really displaying at the core of it is they've lost a sense of identity. They feel faceless and nameless, and now they want to try to kind of rise up and be somebody again. Well, be somebody, but be the person that Jesus has designed you to be. Wherever, whatever that is. And if you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that may be washing other people's feet, which is a fantastic identity. It's the core of Christianity. You may not be the head honcho, but over time you learn to be content, not just with money and material, but you learn to be content with the place in which God has put you. And guess what? Simplicity begins to reign. The sense of equanimity, this balanced life begins to pour back in, and, you, and you're not striving so hard. There, there's rest for your soul. Rest for your soul. So we've seen that there, uh, again, I, I, and I will tell you, Joe Rigney wrote, wrote a great book about this, and I, I just thought it was a fantastic book. It was a little bit of a response to a book uh, that someone had written a number of years back, uh, and, and it's a beautiful balance of understanding, again, the material realm. But he said there are two really great sins, and he's kind of he often quoted C.S. Lewis, etc., but two great sins. One is idolatry. And then the second, and this leads us into our last point on this creation series, the second is ingratitude. Now, allow me to say, first of all, what is asceticism? So when I'm talking about asceticism, let me, let me just... I'm going to give you the Webster's kind of dictionary. Um, it's the doctrine that a person can attain a high spiritual and moral state by practicing self-denial, self-mortification, and the like. Rigorous self-denial, extreme abstinence, and austerity are really pictures of what asceticism is. And we see this all the time. I was watching the other night. I was, was fascinated by this, uh, what was his name, Warren and Lyle Jeffries, two brothers in Utah. You probably remember the situation. I think they're both serving time now. Uh, they had this little, uh, it, was a, it was an offshoot, and dare, you know, and many Mormon friends of, that I know said so it really has nothing to do with who we are. But anyway, they practiced polygamy. They had a, something in the very southern part of Utah, and there was a lot of, it, was, it got really dire. It was cultic. He was abusing young women. He was taking wives away from husbands. He was monopolizing and get, taking all their money. Typical definition of a cult. But one of the things that struck me as I was watching this is the austerity measures that were put in place. He took away the playgrounds for the kids. He didn't want them out, you know, recreating because that was, you know, not their religious practice. He, they kind of eradicated the word fun from their vocabulary and, and uh, no dancing and, not, you know, all that was eradicated. And, and you say, well, wait a minute. That was obviously demonic, this cult. I mean, 
taking people's wives and abusing young women and all. Those are, the, those are the signs of a cult. But you don't think of it in terms of, and we're also going to do these really austere measures to make sure that we don't have too much fun. Unless, of course, you're the cult leader and then you get to have all the fun. It's not unusual to see Satan, our adversary, right in the middle, right in the middle of some very religious ideology and religious practice that has the appearance of something that's really deep and profound. I mean, we're looking for the people travel to, you know, different parts of the world to find the guru who lives off in a cave somewhere or, or the monk who secluded himself and they only... In, only can, you know, have these spiritual conversations all day longer. Oh, if we can only glean from these gurus of the spiritual realm, uh, then we would really have insight into what God is like. And God's response to that is... <laughs> no, that's, that's all I can say, and I'm going to prove it to you now. Are you ready? Asceticism is demonic because at its core, it's ingratitude for the gifts that God has given us. You're the gift giver? Mm. I'm going I'm to learn to know you more by denying everything that you've created that was good. going to live in that world. I don't know how it can be more clear. Paul uh, writes his letter to the church at Colossae. And he writes a pastoral letter to Timothy. I'm just, let us just read this and let it wash over us so we can be balanced. Are you a hedonist, Jeff? Are you one who's out just loving the material order? I do love what God has given me in its right place. Sex within marriage. Food, balanced, healthy lifestyle that allows me to complete my mission. Excluding donut holes. Uh, I mean, all these things, yes, rightfully ordered, the material realm is good. And anytime we make them ultimate, mm, get a lead to idolatry. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, cannot be more clear. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Now, what are the elementary principles of the world? The world already, and I've told you a million times, and I've quoted it as somehow as I came up with this, because if you quote it for a bunch of times, it becomes yours, right? So, but religion has always been man's attempt to get to God. The world is not bereft of religion. Religion is everywhere, whether you're aware of it or not, or even call it religion. Scientism is a religion that somehow the only way we can attain truth is through the scientific method. That's unprovable. It's unknowable, uh, it's speculative, and uh, but yet many people hold to it. They wouldn't call it religion, but it's religion. So there's all kinds of, and of course, we know the major religions, and there's this off-cults and every other, but religion, man's always trying to get to this higher power out there. Always has, always will. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. Jesus was God's attempt to get to man. So man's attempt to get to God, religion... And God says, no, we're going to do it a different way. We're going to go a different route, and it's going to surprise and shock you because you are all blind, and you're all sinners, and there's no, you have no chance at all, so I'm going to come down and do it myself. It's exactly what Isaiah was seeing 700 years before Jesus in Isaiah 59, 16. He looked for somebody to intercede, someone to intercede to get man to God, found no one, 
So he sent his own right arm, being Jesus himself. Again, a prophetic picture of the right arm of God, which would become the Messiah, Jesus. So have you died to these elementary principles? Well, why as if you were living in the world? Why, why do you still submit yourself to decrees like this? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These things all refer to things destined to perish with the use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have, well, to be sure, they have the appearance of wisdom. It looks good. Well, there's somebody who's really serious about their religion. And self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body. That's asceticism. But they are of little value. No, not little value. No value against fleshly indulgence. He's not saying, I want you to be fleshly, fleshly indulgent here and to go outside the design by which God has created us. That is not what is being said here. And so if you don't misquote me on this, well, Jeff, you know, he gave some messages that said that we should just go out and be hedonists. That is not at all. I, I'm, I battle fleshly indulgence every day, and I think most of you do as well. Through vanity or, you know, materialism or greed or I battle that stuff every single day. But this is of no value. It's self-made. It looks good. It means nothing. Zero. Zilch. You gotta have to, you gotta have to get that. We're, we have to get that in our spirits. Well, Paul saw the same thing. Listen to what he wrote to Timothy in his first letter, chapter four. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some are going to fall away from the faith. What is away from the faith? Doctrines of demons are away from the faith. The demonic is away from the faith. But people are going to fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. But here's what's going to define them. Religiosity, men who forbid marriage. Now, you can't get married. If you get married, you're not going to be able to serve God in the full kind of way that you need to, and it'll, it'll, it'll be distracting, and they forbid it. They're going to advocate abstaining from foods, which God has gratefully shared, should be shared in those by who believe and know the truth. Everything created by God is good. Let's say it again. Okay, all right, you ready? We don't do this very often, Church of the Red Door. Let's say it together. Everything created by God is good, created by God. Now, man can twist it and pervert it and change it into something very different, but everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. It is sanctified by the means of the Word of God and by prayer. Is God, is God done with the material realm? Is we, should, should we all just you know, stripped down to some kind of little robe, some kind of Motel 6 towel. I, that's about as bad a thing as I can think of at the moment, you know, where you can see through it and somehow put some scotch tape that we found in the dumpster and tape it together and, and then go live in a hole until Jesus comes back? Is that, is that biblical Christianity? And the answer to that is no. But neither is idolatry. 
Neither is a lack of generosity, absurd generosity. God loves generosity. We're going to see that in a minute. 1 Timothy chapter 6. That was a quick minute, wasn't it? You ready? Instruct those, verse 17, who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. That's idolatry. If you're, if you're freaking out when the market goes down or you're overly enthusiastic when the market goes up or, 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 or you fear loss or you're, if, if anything happens should ever happen to my family, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just, I'll end it right there. I just can't possibly construe a world. Look, there's no balance in that. It's a fear of loss. But what are we to fix our hope on? The God, now catch this, it's not just the God. We, he, he could have just said, okay, set your heart on God. Fix your eyes on God. But he doesn't. On the God who does what? Richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Why would he? Because right here, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, I know what it's going to sound like. It's going to sound like I'm somehow dishing, dissing the whole God's created order thing. But I don't want you. I want you to set your mind on God, but the God that, well, provides for us and gives us all these incredible things that we might enjoy them. Some of you, I want you to be released. Some of you have a religious background that you've kind of had this low-level fever for years that you did well in your business or that you've been successful or that you, you know, and you just feel like if I was really spiritual, I'd be really poor. I could have been a lot more spiritual had I, you know, never gone down that road, never started that business, never, never saved my money. I should have just given it all away the moment I made it. I mean, this low level, this low level fever of guilt about being prosperous or about having an abundance. Look, I would tell you exactly what Timothy was told. You instruct those who are wealthy in this life to be rich and generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves a treasure in heaven, which cannot be wiped out. Of course, there's balance. So we do two things with our, with our material realm abundance. What do we do? It says it right here. First, you enjoy it. But secondly, you employ it. If you just enjoy it, then you're listening to what you want to listen to out of this message. If you just hear you must employ it but not enjoy it, then you're also listening to something maybe from your past or something else. It is a beautiful union of the two. How can I enjoy what the Lord has given me and employ it to accomplish the purposes for which he sent me? That is good preaching right there. That's just true. That is so thoroughly biblical. It, it's so biblical. And yet I know people have different frames of references. And I, I, always, I always finish. Anytime I, I thousands of hours of teaching through the years and men's groups and this and that during the week and on the weekend services. And what did they take away? What were they really hearing? Did they hear what they wanted to hear? Did they hear a balance? Did they, are they, are they, oh, you know, I'm really uncomfortable with this message because it sounds like, I don't know, it just sounds like, it doesn't sound very spiritual to me. Or the other way, it's a balance. Enjoy it. He tells us, the God who richly supplies us with all things to 
enjoy, and then employ it. Be missional. Let's build a church, Church at the Red Door. Why can't we build a church in the 21st century? I go into all kinds of places all over the country all the time, and you watching too. And I, and I look at it, and I say, how does that church get built out in the middle? And There's nobody with any money, nobody with anything. They build that church. Where did that money come from? We can build a church. We can employ. It's not just the church. It's all the different things that we're doing in the valley. It's all the, we have one calling. It's to be missional, be light into a dark place. The Lord's going to provide. But we need to employ as well. But let's enjoy we're going to enjoy it. We're gonna, are you ready for this? This is a pre-announcement of the announcement. <laughs> we're going to have an in and out burger day. And we're going to go out. We're going to listen to worship music and every other thing. I had, I had one of my friends who's never even been to Church of the Red Door. I want to provide you guys with an in and out experience. You'll never, you'll never know. He's paying for everything. He's going to pay for everything. And uh, we're going to go out and have as many double-doubles with cheese that you can possibly eat, and we're going to enjoy every last bite. It's going to be beautiful. Okay, in the end, look, I want you to enjoy it. I want it to help us adore him. The material realm helps me adore God. I look, cannot look at a mountain. I cannot look at a, my grandson. I cannot look at, I can't look at any of that and not immediately have it just reflect and go, Lord, God, you're so amazing, and my wife and my kids and my, you know, and provision and, and, and where we live and, and, yeah, catching a trout when I go up to Montana and, and all, all, all that for me is just, well, it's a worship service for me, and it can be for you, and it should be for you. Lastly, James 1.17, every good thing given and every perfect gift, perfect gift. I'm not talking about twisted gift, corrupted gift. I'm talking perfect gift, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation and there is no shifting shadow. You know, when I think and I contemplate about the revelatory power of the creator of the universe and the intricacies of design, and I said this a few weeks ago, but I want to say it again. It makes me confident when I see at the, the cellular level and the atomic level and the design and the precision of a, even a cell is like more complicated, one single cell more complicated than the entire city of New York City, which is not that complicated anymore. But, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just... The design and the beauty and the detail that God is into in the created order gives me confidence that he can, well, that he can run my life. Some people look at the created order and they just see chaos. See, this is what Habakkuk was talking about. Habakkuk wrote a bunch of years ago, and uh, listen to what Habakkuk said. And I don't know where the, oh, there it is. Uh, I knew it was in there somewhere. Habakkuk was writing, uh, and it was basically a lament, if you know anything about this little prophet. He was lamenting the fact that Israel was, they didn't care about God anymore, they care, all they cared about was money and sex and rock and roll. Uh, that's all they cared about, and he was so lamenting the fact. And then God came, comes in and answers him and says, well, I'm going to send in this uh, nation called Babylon, and I'm going to set all things right. And then... 
Complaint number two comes up, and Habakkuk's like, what? You're going to use Babylon? How could you use? Those guys are much worse than we are. How would you ever use a force like that? I mean, they couldn't get child sacrifice and every other. Oh, my God, Lord, you can't possibly do that. So Babylon becomes kind of an archetype, if you will, for all things, all systems, all government and political systems that will rise up. God ordains them sometimes. And in his purposes, because his seat, Psalm 115, seats in the heaven, he does whatever he wants to. And it, Babylon, you see it in Revelation, Babylon becomes the world system. It's a world system. But listen to what Habakkuk says. But prior to that, you got to remember Isaiah. Do you remember when Isaiah has the vision of God? And he falls down on his knees and says, I'm a sinful man. And, and, uh, and eventually they, they brought a little... Uh, a little burning coal and touched it to his lips. And, and, uh, and Isaiah was a righteous guy, but compared to the holiness of this experience he was having, he was really not righteous at all, and he knew it. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. This is a bad, bad situation. And yet the, these angels are there, and, and they're all uh, this encounter, and that, you know, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. The whole, now catch this. The whole earth is full of his what? Glory. The whole earth is full of his glory. Well, I can, I can tell you without any equivocation right now, all of Coachella Valley, if you might be watching this morning, whoever, the whole earth is now full of God's glory. But Habakkuk sees something different. I want to read this to you, Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to read verses 2 through 4 and then 14 as we close. Then the Lord answered and said to me, Record the vision, he's talking about Babylon, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. The vision is yet for the appointed time. If it hastens towards the goal, it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it, and it will certainly come. It will not delay. But as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. Now, there's probably nothing more supportive of the idea of this transfer from being under the law to being a faith man. I mean, Abraham, what did it say? Abraham believed God and his faith was reckoned to him as righteousness. It's a faith thing now. It's an inside thing. It's not an exterior religious, ascetic, demonic silliness that people are trying to practice religion and look more pious or more monk-like or more like we're really serious about this because we're living in a cave kind of a thing. Well, no, 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 no. This is something really different now. He says, now, now catch this. They're going to live by faith, but then what does he say? When that starts to happen, I think it's a progressive picture that he's getting. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, Isaiah said the whole earth, all the created order, it's full of the glory of God. But Habakkuk sees a time that men and women are going to live by faith. And when that starts to happen, the whole earth is going to begin to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It's one thing to be aware of the glory of God. Wow, there's a lot of stuff out there. There might be a force out there. But we as the church, and this is what I mean by missional community, we have a task, a God-given task that will no longer allow you the idolatry and the comfort of saying, I'm, I'm useless, I don't mean anything, I have no value. Forget all that. That's idolatry. 
you, every one of us, whether you can walk, whether you're in an old folks home, whether you're in a, whether you got a cough that you haven't coughed for 45 minutes straight, whatever it is, you, all this, you mean something in the missional plans of God. Why? Because God wants the earth to not only be filled with his glory, but to be filled with the knowledge of his glory. And how do people get faith? How do people get faith? That's my question to you. Romans 10, 13, whoever will call upon the Lord will be saved. How will they call upon him whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Now, don't just think of me as the preacher. It is all of us collectively. How will they preach unless they are sent? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good things, tidings, excuse me, good news of good things. The gospel's good. The created order is good. It reveals the Lord. But I don't want just the earth to be filled with the glory of God. I want it to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. And the only way that that happens, my sweet, precious friends, is for us to get up off of our rear ends and be the church and be a light and be missional and say we believe that the Coachella Valley, that thousands will come to know Jesus. Not just through Church of the Red Door, through a partnership and a collective, beautiful orchestration of the Spirit of God here in the Coachella Valley. But we play a role. We play a role.